1: Infrastructure Week finally happened. After years of being a punchline or shorthand way of referring to Washington gridlock, Congress passed a bipartisan infrastructure bill, and President Joe Biden will sign it this coming Monday. Then comes another hard part, getting all those roads paved, bridge repaired, and what have you. One of the key figures who will make that happen is Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg, a former South Bend, Indiana mayor and 2020 presidential candidate, is an unapologetic policy nerd. He's also the first millennial to be a cabinet secretary. And CQ Roll Call staff writer Jessica Wehrman has been observing him from her post as our transportation reporter. She's going to join us on political theater to discuss what the infrastructure bill does, the challenges uh, to making it actually all work, and her observations on Buttigieg. A little later on, I'll discuss the new documentary Mayor Pete with filmmaker Jesse Moss, The movie, which starts streaming on Amazon on Friday, takes an in-depth look at Buttigieg's 2020 presidential run, and offers some pretty candid looks at his personal life, particularly his marriage to husband Chasten. But first, Jessica Wehrman. Hi, Jess. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you?
2: I'm not too bad. I liked your lead-up because it made me think, I got this image of Mayor Pete driving like a bulldozer with (laughs) his little hard hat on, or I don't know how you fill in a pothole, like with a little spatula type of thing. I don't know, really, but there was a good visual there, so.
1: So, and in in this documentary that I I spoke to, uh, did you get a sneak peek at it? I I did. I got a sneak peek of Pete, uh, uh, and, uh, talking to the filmmaker, it's, uh, it's interesting. There are, there are images from his time in South Bend because he was still mayor when he was running for president and he literally has like a shovel and he's like filling you know street you know fill and does he things own like a that. giant scissors uh he, I didn't there was none of that he oh. he actually looked like he liked to get dirty as opposed to just like <laughs> snipping the ribbon which uh, is not
2: really something you think of with mayor Pete you don't think of him you think of him right? as like a nice little nerdy policy guy. So. Right, right. Exactly. Not with a spatula <laughs> filling in the potholes. Yeah. I guess there's a spatula. don't really, there's probably or, a better term for it. more of a shovel. Or, Maybe yeah. a shovel. I don't yeah. really know. I've never really filled in a pothole, so. I <laughs> Me can't. neither. Me
1: neither. <laughs> but, but, but before... That's actually a good segue because like he will, I mean, I'm guessing you're right. He is going to do some ceremonial stuff. The Democrats, I think, are hoping that some good press with the infrastructure uh, bill as it gets implemented will help them in their political future, the 2022 uh, midterm elections are right uh, out out there, but let's talk about like you. You have a story uh, that that's on uh, roll call now that uh, is a, is in front of the paywall, and and um, and you talk about what. Uh, yeah, we, it was very difficult to get this thing passed, even just this year among Democrats. But now comes, you know, this thing where we actually have to get money from the treasury to the highway trust fund and all this like crazy stuff. What are, what are some of the obstacles that Mayor Pete or Secretary Pete, as it were, uh, and his team and the rest of the federal government will have in getting these uh, shovels full of asphalt? <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. <laughs>
2: <laughs> For him get, to get this spa- I'm going to just keep saying spatula, spatula just because I don't know. I, I just like the image of it. Anyway. Did you cook
1: eggs this morning? Is no, that why spatula I is I don't a- <laughs> know why this is
2: just, it's sort of a weird, so sorry, podcast listeners. Anyway, um, so this is going to, this is a huge bill, right? This yeah. is 550 billion. And that's just the new spending part. So mm-hmm. that's in addition to all the old authorized stuff because, you know, you had a surface transportation bill in here, you had water bills. Um, So it's a ton of new spending. And I would put these into two little categories. One is a category that easy stuff to spend, meaning... T- we're taking, for example, we're taking Jason Dick's ba- bank account and just making it a lot bigger. So, all of the pots of money are there. They're just bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a pretty easy part because you don't really, I mean, you don't have to pass new rules. You don't have to do any of the legislative rigmarole. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to spend money and send it out, basically, in this case, to DOTs and say, okay, DOT, spend the money. Now, you'll notice— one, State
1: and local DOTs. State and yeah. local yeah. DOTs.
2: Yeah. I, I say state, but the state's kind of divvy it out, too. Yeah. Uh so, that's one part. And then the other part is all the new stuff. Mm-hmm. For example, there's money for broadband. We didn't really have money for broadband before. So, that's right. $65 billion, Make sure I don't say a million because it's just such, these are such big numbers that it kind of... B, B, Yeah, $65 billion for broadband.
1: You, and, and is broadband important these days? A little bit, <laughs> With actually. With all the, all the Zooming it, we're doing?
2: <laughs> as it turns out, we kind of need the internet at this point. Um, and, the, and the pandemic has really sort of highlighted that. So, there's that. There's things like there is money in the bill for sort of making uh, transportation, which is the largest source of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, Yeah, that's my like, that's.
1: And I believe, I believe Secretary Buttigieg discussed this uh, and at the climate change conference uh, in, in Glasgow, which he attended this week. In both the U.S. and U.K. economies, transportation is the single largest sector contributing greenhouse gas emissions. In other words, it can be measured as the biggest part of our challenge which obligates us and invites us to be a big part of the solution. Electric vehicles, sustainable fuels, public transit, we are working to make sure all of these play a larger role in our transportation systems. But we can't do any of this work alone. The special relationship between our two countries has helped us to weather economic recessions, terrorist threats, and two world wars. And it's just as vital today in our shared fight against climate change. We're already working together on the International Aviation Climate Coalition, on the Zero Emission Vehicle Transition Council, on green shipping corridors, and so much more.
2: Because he's kind of a climate change guy. Like this, is, He's making this role of climate change. But that's a new program, so there's going to be rulemaking and stuff for that. Uh, there's rulemaking for an equity program, which is there's a lot of, um, in many cities across the United States, there's infrastructure that's built that basically separates black and brown communities from the rest of the community where, you know, there was a former secretary of transportation named Anthony Fox who talked about how he couldn't order a pizza when he was a kid in his neighborhood because you couldn't get pizza delivered because there was this giant overpass blocking his neighborhood from there. I mean, which seems kind of crazy, but part of this bill would basically undo that or make you know these communities more accessible, so that's one a of the new yeah
1: one of the examples I was thinking of too is is currently under uh, under deconstruction, which is this huge highway that goes right through the middle of Syracuse, mm-hmm. New York. Um, my uh, stepson is up in upstate New York in college, and you know when you travel through Syracuse, it just it really goes right through the middle of town, and they're 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 replacing it because it is it did exactly what you were discussing right it, there. It's
2: fascinating, know? and it, it was it was sort of one of the eye opening parts of my beat to sort of realize the way federal policy has basically sort of marginalized communities, Mm -hmm. um, and now they're trying to fix that. It's not a ton of money, but it'll take rulemaking, it'll take bureaucracy, and some of these things take a lot of time. I mean, I was thinking when I was reporting this story about the 2018 FAA reauthorization bill, which by no means is of the scope of this legislation. Well, they're still trying to implement stuff mm-hmm. from that. In fact, there's like three provisions from the 2016 FAA reauthorization that they're still working on. So some of this stuff, and it's got a ton of new mandates and requirements and things that require rules and bureaucracies, and these things don't always come overnight. So part of this bill, it's going to take a minute.
1: Okay. So, I mean, basically just sort of in a nutshell, you've got the easy thing of like just cutting checks for programs that are already existing, like repairing some bridges and doing that kind of stuff.
2: And kind of the status quo stuff, if we're being honest. Yeah, like
1: like stuff that needs to be done, but isn't super sexy. In it doesn't terms really of ex- fight yeah, climate change ex- if we're
2: being completely honest. Right,
1: right. <laughs> and then there's this other, these other programs, which, as you said, are addressing mm-hmm. equity issues, trying to make sure that, you know, highways don't cut off, like, you know, minority mm-hmm. communities from the rest of a, of a city, climate change, and, you know, broadband, all this kind of stuff. That And that's going to require rulemaking, and that requires, you know, the, 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 basically, the red tape—the uh, the thing that everybody loves about government.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, and the thing that the government's so good at, right? Right.
1: <laughs> so this is this is, anyway, and you mentioned, you know, the, these two reauthorizations from 2016 and 2018. I mean, that's you know, two other previous <laughs> administrations—the yes, Obama the administration, t- and Trump administration.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're really covering the water. so. I mean, bills take a long time to implement, especially right. when you're doing transformational. I mean, when they say that this is a generational investment in infrastructure, they are not being. Hyperbolic? Is that a word? Yes, they're, they're not speaking. It's one of my in favorite hy- words. So yeah, this this is seriously this is some serious dough.
1: So you know the the president is is sort of famous for whispering in President Obama's ear when he was vice president about the signing of the of uh, Obamacare that this is a big effing deal. Mm-hmm. Um and and certainly it was. I mean like the Affordable Care Act changed people's lives and also became a political um sort of cudgel for both sides for since <laughs> since, mm-hmm. since two thousand ten. Uh, so this is a BFD also, right? It is. And the I, BIF, the Bipartisan me, Infrastructure Yeah, a, I haven't
2: checked this out, so you may want to fact check me on this, but someone told me that Biden's granddaughter actually tweeted, hey, grandpa, this is actually a BFD. <laughs> yeah, so, which is kind of, if that's true, that's awesome. Um, yes, so he, but, so now the key thing is, he, he needs to sort of do a couple things. Um, the midterms are coming up right. really quickly. So he needs to demonstrate some progress in order to show Americans that their lives are changed for the better because of this bill. It's one thing to say, hey, we passed this bill, that's great. But Americans need to have that perception that this is something that has helped them mm-hmm. and improved their lives.
1: Biden was up in Baltimore uh, this week, and he was standing in front of all these, you know, uh, shipping containers. Port of Baltimore is one of the biggest shipping, uh, uh, you know, sort of ports uh, in, in the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was making the, the case that this would would help break the supply chain problems we're seeing, address inflation, all this kind of stuff.
0: But last week, we, uh, we took a, a monumental step forward as a nation. And we did something long overdue and long talked about in Washington, but almost never actually done. The House of Representatives passed my bipartisan infrastructure bill. Along with other plans that I'm advancing, this bill is going to reduce the cost of goods to consumers, businesses, and get people back to work.
1: Is that is that hyperbolic also? I mean, it seems like that well, h- inflation in the supply chain is a very short-term thing and this bill is a very long-term thing. I
2: mean, he better hope it helps it because this is this is gonna be a long I mean, this is something that Americans are palpably feeling. And if they're feeling it in November of 2022, then he's gonna have some problems. Um, the supply chain thing, I've been actually doing some reporting on that, and it's so complicated and so multi-layered that it, it would be easy to say, hey, guess what? The bipartisan bill is totally going to fix this. It's not going to totally fix it. There's a lot of different issues along the supply chain, and it's kind of pandemic-related, and it's not just here. Right. I mean, if you go to China, there are supply chain issues there. There were manufacturing issues where there were factories that were shut down. Um, they They can kind of pick around the edges to try to solve or address the problem, but I have yet to find anyone who's found the panacea for this where you can just, you know, pull this lever and the supply chain problems are fixed. They have to just... Un- I like... So, I don't know if you have... I think of jewelry and I think of when you have a necklace that's all tangled and you have to... You get this knot yep. undone and then the next... and the, That's kind of what this is. Right. I mean, it's sort of and some of it's private, you know, private companies. But the bottom line is shipping things is so much more expensive that I think that's affecting inflation as well. Um, You have people who want to pick up deliveries, but the Containers under five other containers, so the truck can't. Get, I mean, you don't have enough sh- truck drivers, you, and that you know.
1: doesn't sound like this is going to be fixed necessarily. <laughs> no, <laughs> like by but, this, by by bipartisan infrastructure bill that takes rulemaking and new roads. And,
2: no, I and mean, I mean, I mean they, they'll dredge some ports, so mm. that's cool. Um, love, I love dredging ports. I love dredging One ports. Of my I mean, activities. you know, people people really get excited about that. Um, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> It will help some things, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's one thing that's going to help. I mean, it's going to take a little bit. And part of it's pandemic stuff. Yeah. Sorry, we live in this time that's this historic. I mean, you live in interesting times. Right. We live in this time that unfortunately has caused these problems, among other things.
1: Speaking of interesting, Secretary Pete, I want to call him Mayor Pete, you know, because again, <laughs> again, this the movie is like stuck that. you know that was mm-hmm. that was part of his campaign slogan in hearing is is he wanted to be known as a mayor uh, and so forth. I mean, you've covered you covered his confirmation hearings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's an historic figure. He's the first openly gay uh, cabinet secretary to be confirmed by this by the Senate. Um he's the first millennial. Um and he really digs talking about this stuff. I mean, he and when I think I feel like when you have somebody who was as successful as he was, in the presidential, you know, campaign, and granted, he didn't, he didn't, uh, um, he didn't win, he didn't win, <laughs> but he also didn't uh, quote unquote burn any bridges. Well, <laughs> uh, and, see what I did there. Uh, yeah, that was uh, and, yeah, and and became this pol- a, a political figure that was also very comfortable in policy. What do you think? I mean, you, you mentioned, you know, you could see him on, you know, trying, you know. Uh, climbing up on a bulldozer or something like that. <laughs>
2: Actually, it's probably never a good idea to have funny hats or whatever when you're a politician. Just ask Michael Dukakis. Right,
1: but it's but it does seem like like Buttigieg is very comfortable being a, a kind of a policy nerd and a political animal. Is that true? I mean, is is it? Yeah. I mean, like you've you you've seen him a lot, and you're with your perch as our transportation reporter. Yeah,
2: every time you see these people, and it's like they're just sort of it's like they're hatched from an egg. They're like this perfect little political creature. And he actually, you could make that argument if you could get, you know, parts of America who are uncomfortable with a gay man to be okay with that. um, Or a young fella, because he is a young, I mean, he is a very...
1: Yeah, he's 39 years old.
2: Yeah, yeah. So... um,
1: Yes, that's young listeners.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Yes, yes, that is. I don't, do I remember? I think I remember 39. Um, Yeah, so he is... He's very fluent in policy. Mm-hmm. As well he as eight other languages is, or something. It seems credibly, like Maltese or something. <laughs> yeah. He, well, yeah. He's fluent in a bunch of languages. He's one of these guys who, um, like he wanted to read, I, I can't remember what book, like a Swedish book or yeah, something?
1: Yeah, yeah. Or Norwegian, I think. Norwegian, yeah.
2: yeah. So, and then he just, so he learned the language as one does. Right, <laughs> totally.
1: I'm gonna, I, After this podcast, I'm just going to pick up like Serbo-Croatian or something. Yeah, you know, why on the not?
2: Side, you, know. you know, we've got plenty of time to do that. Um, so, yeah, so he is this, and he's very careful. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. And he's pretty good. I mean, he's been an effective surrogate for Biden on the campaign trail and speaking out for for, you know, his policies and that sort of thing. It was interesting to see how things kind of unwound with this because at first, he was way at the forefront. Whenever there was a negotiation, they trot out Mayor Pete and he would talk. And then, that kind of went to the wayside for a while. It became more about like Brian Deese and these sort of people that you would- The White House
1: legislative heavy Yeah, you see them walk down the hallway
2: and it's not like they were immediately noticeable figures. They didn't have the star power of Mayor Pete, but they were the ones who kind of handled a lot of this bipartisan negotiation. And he was sort of, you know, I asked him, I said, well, what are you doing? And he was calling lawmakers Mm -hmm. and sort of doing the kind of behind the scenes glad, which is actually kind of an important thing to learn as well. Right. Um, particularly if you're a mayor who's coming into Washington for the first time and learning about these things. So that was his role. And now his role, I think, is going to be selling this to the American public and sort of creating the perception as things are ramping up that things are being done, even before, you know, you can actually start using the spatula to uh, fill
1: in the potholes. (laughs) Well, uh, there is no one who I would uh, rather have uh, observing the spatula handling <laughs> than you, Jess. And I, pre- I bet you there's
2: a better term. I'm going to look it up when I get off.
1: Uh, But I appreciate you uh, kind of walking us through some of the challenges that are ahead. I mean, this is we're sort of at the at the beginning of a new beginning uh, for for this infrastructure stuff. But as I said, it's no longer a punchline, right? I mean, like
2: yeah, I mean they've actually they've actually done it by God. I mean, it's almost unbelievable to say. So
1: yeah, well, thank you so much for uh, for for talking with us. And uh, and now uh, we're going to pivot to my conversation with Jesse Moss, uh, whose film Mayor Pete is about this same transportation secretary that uh jess wehrman and i have been discussing when you approached (laughs) buddhij and and chaston about this did you imagine that he was going to sort of vault to the to the front of the
0: no i mean you know with iowa and so forth i mean i knew he was more than let's say like a a marianne williamson more than Mm -hmm. like a novelty candidate right um and that like he was like had legit credentials to be an up-and-comer in the party, not necessarily legit credentials to be a, a, a serious presidential candidate, but like a guy who was being talked about, he'd run for DNC chair, Right? you know, he he obviously had intellectual pedigree, he was had done good work in South Bend. So these, these are an interesting set of characteristics, yeah. but they don't make up a, a top-tier presidential candidate. But I think that, you know, I mean, good documentary work is like our big swings and um, risks and I loved that, um, I loved a couple, well, two things. One was the, the, the possibility of access was kind of irresistible. The prospect of like being on the trail was a big deterrent um, because I think it's very hard to do good work as you. No, I'm sure. Especially and when it's zero degrees and Cedar Rapids. All of it. And it's <laughs> the December. same it's the same stump speech you saw, you know, in yeah. somewhere else in Iowa. What are you gonna get right? Re- so there's a certain texture that's important, but mm-hmm. like the actual heart of the matter is it's hard to come to. And so um, I but I, I like the idea. Well, one that, that there was a kind of Capra-esque narrative that Pete was clearly retailing and mm-hmm. the South Bend turnaround and his own <clears throat> bona fides. And I thought, if there's one thing we know, is the norms of presidential politics have been completely shattered. We got Obama in you know, 8 we, we got Trump. I mean, can anybody be elected president? Why not a gay mayor from South Bend, Indiana?
1: There, and there's this great scene where he he has a. I mean, it's it's obviously something he's probably. Memorized a few times. It reminds me of Barney Frank's, like left-handed Jewish you know, yeah. gay man. But but it's even more extensive. It's yeah. Maltese left-handed mayor, millennial, uh, you know, millennial yeah. gay veteran yeah. mayor. It's <laughs> like, like I'm your candidate,
0: right? He checked all these boxes. None of them seem to make sense together, but to get they do kind of comprise something. And I guess it was, but in a substantive way. And this is what relates to Boy State. But I was interested in how he he did cut across these different. I was interested in the question of like finding a center in American life. Like, I think we're all interested in this question. Like, how how, how are we going to find a way forward? We're so fucking divided, polarized, fractured, you know, broken to some degree. Like, what what is there healing? Can people speak to different factions across this wide divide that mm-hmm. we live with? And you know, Pete struck me as being ha- able to had done that to some degree was doing that by virtue of all the things that he made up in himself. Um, and as a candidate, I thought, you know, may, maybe this will translate. I mean, he clearly thought the same and other people did too. And, um, and, and I, I liked the Capra-esque kind of romance of the, the folly. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you know, sign me up, it's not gonna go anywhere, but if the axis is real and like he gets any traction, there's a one percent 1% or less chance he becomes president. 5% chance maybe he becomes, I'm not good at odds, but I say 5% he becomes nominee. Everything else is probably a disaster for me. But um, but I said, let's start and see if the axis is for real.
1: And the thing that
0: it sort of develops
1: into it almost is a. it's like a, I mean, it's the story of this campaign, but it's also kind of a, a love story almost or, yeah. or a marriage story too. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't see that happening until about like three quarters of the way through and i was like oh wait this is actually more like pete and chasten not yeah. not pete and One, I mean, like it, yeah. it, this is a this is very much a marriage that that like they have discussed trade-offs and they've mm-hmm. discussed who's going to put yeah. his career on hold chaston uh yeah. and and i i did they ever express any regret about granting you that access when they're having those sort of moments that are very awkward, like when Chasten yeah. is challenging him on what he says or how he comes across and how much how yeah. gay he's going to be in yeah. front of different crowds?
0: Yeah, no, I'd say one hundred percent. In that, um, I, I feel like the, the film is a kind of bait and switch. Uh, I think you go in expecting a certain conventional political narrative, and actually, it is a love story and it is a portrait of a marriage. And I love that it's actually it's a portrait of a marriage in which one of the partners happens to be running for president. I mean, if if you told, I didn't really, I wouldn't have formulated that pitch when we started the project, but I think what I discovered really quickly was like, that was my purchase in telling the story. I was interested in that. I, I was less interested in other things and I connected with Chaston and immediately recognized that that seeing Pete from Chaston's perspective and their relationship together was a sort of way to understand this somewhat inscrutable person who is mm-hmm. Pete, who's a remote person. And clearly Chastin understands him and knows him probably better than anybody other than his mother, or, you know. And and I liked their interactions together. I saw pretty quickly that they felt very real to me. And one of the first scenes I filmed with them together was actually when Ch- Chastin is talking to Pete about the speech he gives at the Victory Fund about coming out. And it was like, I was like, There's nobody in the room but me. I'm filming this scene. They've let me in. And it's like real. It's It's real. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I don't, I didn't fully realize the degree to which the relationship sort of was the heart of the film until we got beyond the election of 2020. We had, we went into the edit room right after Pete dropped out, but um, I think we knew and, recognize quickly that we were lost until we could get through the election and sort of look back and see what mattered most and to let go of some things that sentimentally you hold on to like oh don't we really need that scene in Iowa about no you don't no one cares right Right? I love at the end of the film you know we did that interview that we talked about that was done after he dropped out but before the 2020 election and I, for, Pete was in an unusually reflective state of mind. And, and I love what he says. At Even the end. for him, that must be I, a I, lot I, deeper than like, <laughs> most mortals. <laughs> he, yeah, he was just, just just willing to go there a little bit. And I, I do like what he says at the end of the film when he skips that rather long answer about, you know, when you're on the campaign trail and you're taking in people's pain, you know, and it's intense and real. And We see a little bit of it in the film. Well, especially at the town hall. That's like, right. After the shooting. That's like, right. You
1: see him just taking all Taking this, it.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and that was a real issue because of the debate that followed immediately after that. You know, I just, you just looked at him and you could feel that he had been, he was kind of, he was traumatized, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, and um, so, but, the, but you know, his articulation of, of, of that, sort of, you could read it as a rationale for his restraint. It, 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 but... I, I did. I do think he's right to a degree that like you have to you have to find a way to contain it, yeah. and that's what makes it you makes you useful as a, as a politician to people is that you're not you're not getting destabilized by it, I guess, or, or, or whatever the you know. Uh, I mean, it has to. You have to feel it. You know, if you call the fire department, you don't want
1: them to also be panicking about the fire in your house,
0: right? Which is why the elevator scene is funny. You're like, well, <laughs> don't we want that guy with his button on the fi- the trigger? Um, he's calm,
1: and there was another scene too, as far as his relatability, where from from a debate where Amy Klobuchar, you know, yeah. a senator, says, yeah. you know, you're not in the arena, and he yeah. just, I mean, there's, it's the best clapback I've heard, you know, know, in a while, which is that maybe, you know, yeah. running a city in the Midwest is not, yeah. you know, you yeah. know, as prestigious as you think, but yeah. you know, we're, we're used to senators thinking that they're more important.
0: I mean, and if that town hall appearance <laughs> yeah. after the police shooting is not the arena, then what is, right? right. I mean, that is a right. tough, tough place. That's right. I, I, that's a strong moment and, and that they had interesting tension on the debate stage, those two. Uh, she just seemed to like she couldn't stand him.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it is, it was interesting. I mean, I watched so many of these debates yeah. and, and seeing the dynamic that so many people didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. And that Biden was able to just sort of kind of keep going past past him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know whether that was because Biden liked him already yeah. and was already thinking, like, I'm not going to lose to this kid and, yeah. and I'll tap him for the cabinet.
0: <laughs> but it's true. Pete, Pete never, unlike Kamala, never attacked him directly in the debate. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a nice scene between them at the Iowa State Fair. Where, and it seems genuine where he says like, such a great guy. You know, he
0: says, it does seem genuine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know what other interactions they, actually, I filmed a nice interaction with him and, him and uh, Kamala and and her husband, Doug him off um, in, in New Hampshire. Uh, those were, I mean, those sort of nice serendipitous moments, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time on what other candidates were up to, um. Cause it was sort of to get lost in the weeds a little bit with 20 of them. You'd have, you'd end up (laughs) with a nine hour movie or something or or a 10 hour movie. Yeah. Um, But it was nice that that Biden does show up and with that cameo and you do sense something, something that pays off later, that there is some kind of chemistry there. I think it's real. Or, or,
1: uh, you know, Biden seems to get also the the coalition, if you will, that Democratic Party is, it's got to have younger people. Yeah. It's got to have. It, it has to keep, you know, a lane for as many constituencies as possible, whether yeah. whether it's blacks, women, yeah, gays. I mean, like, like there's. Yeah. He's. I think he is more acutely aware of that, yeah. and I think that's what hurt him in 2016 a little uh-huh. bit. You know, I mean, he did, didn't run obviously, but yeah. I think there was this yeah. sort of whisper campaign, like this guy is old news, and he doesn't yeah. get what the new Democratic Party is about. Right. Right And yeah. he probably understood it better than most people.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's the bigger conversation that will hopefully come out of the film in part, which is like w- w- what is the future of the party? who will lead the party? Um, I thought it's not just gonna be one person, but um, what what should that person look like? I mean, I like that question that's asked in debate prep that is some I think one of his aides says, you know, Amy Klobuchar said, I think that you know, if you were a, 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 a woman, like you wouldn't be getting this kind of attention. You know, I think that, I, I think that's, that's what, what the statement is. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he, he sometimes, I mean, that answer, he, he, you know, he has a good enough answer for that, I think, but, but he does sometimes struggle. I, I mean, the scene in that church in, in Dallas where he's challenged, um,
1: about white privilege, about white
0: privilege. I mean, I just, I think that that's, um, you know, I, I, I the, the film is not. You know, I, I, I respect Pete. You know, uh, and I like Pete. I spent a lot of time with him, and found him to be a very kind person. And um, I do uh, value what the campaign stood for and its message of inclusion and belonging. Um, but also, you know, needed to be honest about the moments that were hard. You know, mm-hmm. when he got called out. You know, and uh, I think they're real. Um, have he and Chasman seen the movie? They have. Yeah. yeah what kind of feedback did they get uh, you know I think Pete would have preferred to see more policy in the film
1: <laughs> of course he would All Right?
0: Uh, you need yeah. some more charts <laughs> <laughs> Justin maybe just more of himself in the film I, I don't know it's a good place to stop okay uh, thank you so much